0: is in this house this morning. Do you love him? Do you love him? Do you love him? Hallelujah. Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We thank you. And we gather around your word and in your name and for your glory because you are the focus today and you are the man who is taking over the world and establishing a kingdom that will never end. So, Lord, we bend our knee before your word and we yield to everything that you have to say to us today. And we say, come, Holy Spirit, in power, come, Holy Spirit, in love and drive your word deep into our hearts that we may leave today changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in your holy name, Lord, that we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. You may be seated. Good morning. Hmm. Wow, God is so good, God is so good, God is so good, all the time, all the time. I want to jump right into the gospel passage uh, this morning and uh, dive right in. I don't have any uh, good jokes or anything for an introduction uh, this week. As many of you know, I've been in and out of the hospital, eardrum thing and all that nonsense. It's been a crazy week, but so I'm just going to dive in because I just want to get at the meat of what Jesus is saying in this passage today, and it starts off now, Jesus is, if you've read through all of Luke chapter 13, he's really, it's, um, it's not gentle Jesus, meek and mild, it's uh, Jesus really calling people who are resisting him as the Messiah and the divine son of God and resisting his ministry, and he's calling them to repent and speaking words of, unless you do, you will perish, and it's. It's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than you on that day. And he's saying all those things. Okay, so now this passage comes on the heels of all that. And it tells us that at that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Now, you might think that the Pharisees are trying to be antagonistic here. Or they're trying to push him out because the Pharisees are generally portrayed negatively. But not all Pharisees are bad guys. Believe it or not, and this is probably actually some Pharisees who had a, somewhat of a genuine concern that Jesus was in danger because Herod was a wicked despot, and he killed people, including his own family members, uh, so that he could rise to power. And they, uh, they tell him that he needs to go because his life is in danger. Now, Herod is the one who had imprisoned and then ultimately beheaded John the Baptist, okay? Jesus' cousin. So Jesus knows about Herod, and he, he doesn't think very highly of him. So now today in our world, if you c- tell someone that they're a fox, you might mean something like you're very cunning, you're very wise. But what the, the, uh, the, the context here is, The definition of fox is something more like you're a destructive varmint. (laughs) And so Jesus has words for Herod, and he's basically saying, go and tell that destructive varmint that I'm not afraid of him and that I'm going to continue to heal the sick and cast out demons until my time has come. And there's probably a reference here to the third day when uh, he will die and then be raised from the dead. You see, Jesus never takes the easy way out. Okay, Jesus, you know, speaks a bold word in this moment against Herod. Now, today in our world, in the church today, you know, I think that most uh, of us would be like instructed to say, well, maybe could you set up a meeting with Herod at Starbucks so we can just kind of talk about our disagreements and agree to disagree and everybody will feel good about themselves and life can go on comfortably and so forth. But Jesus did not take the easy way out because he wasn't going to stand down in the face of opposition and threat. And so he actually speaks some pretty strong words against Herod. Now, Christian, you. The question for you and for me is, will you stand up and preach the gospel and continue the ministry of Jesus, which is healing the sick and casting out demons and raising the dead? Will you do that in these increasingly hostile times? Where the the culture is coming against Christianity with an increasing aggressiveness? Or will you be one of those Christians who is embarrassed to even pray over your meal in public at a restaurant because of what people might think of you when when they look at you? You see, God likes to test us, too. I want to tell you a story about a test. Because God will test you in weird ways to see if he can trust you as a person who will carry forward the message of the gospel. I was on, a couple of weeks ago, I was on the treadmill at the gym, it was about, I don't know, a week and a half ago, and it was in the afternoon, and there wasn't a whole lot of people there, but there was a gentleman down on that end, and there was a girl here, and there was somebody up there, so there was a few people in eye's distance, and I'm, and I'm on the treadmill, and I've got my headphones in, and I, I, I can't remember what I was listening to, but I felt the Lord say, would you just, would you just lift your hands to me right now, and give me praise, and I'm like... What that's just what I'm just thinking this up and I'm like, you know, I'm like, and I'm like, no, that's silly, Lord. I'm just praising you in my heart. I'm at the gym and things. But then the voice came back again. Son, will you just lift your hands to me right now and praise me? Would you would you do that? And And I could not shake it off. And sometimes we get something from the Lord and it might seem weird and it might seem like, no, but don't write it off. OK, and so. Right there in the middle of the gym because I could not shake it off because I didn't want to leave the gym feeling like I had been disobedient to the Lord on the treadmill. I'm just walking and I had to slow it down because I wasn't going to run and try to lift my hands. And I just slowed it down and I just lifted my hands and I just walked. I said, I just praise you, Father. Thank you. Father, thank you for your love. I just thank you, Lord. And I knew in that moment that that was what he's calling me to do. I could feel the sweetness of his presence. I knew that it was a response of obedience. And I thought, this is just really weird. But whatever. When God calls you to do something, you just do it. You just obey. Okay? It doesn't matter how you feel or what other people are going to think. You just obey. And you do it. And so I did it. Now, here's what happened. It activated something in me. It activated something in me, an obedience and a boldness, because that very same night I was at a restaurant with my friend, and some of you saw the young lady who was visiting here last week. I was in a restaurant with my friend, and a young lady brought our food over, and the Holy Spirit's presence came upon me, and I knew that I was supposed to minister to her, and I said, Hey, we're followers of Jesus, and we want to know, is there anything we can pray for you about? And the Lord gave me a word of knowledge that she had a relationship that was strained with her boyfriend, and, she, and that she had back pain, and she began began to cry. We prayed over her and the Lord was touching her. I talked to her about Jesus and I said, Jesus is here right now and he's visiting you. I couldn't have known these things about you. And she was crying and I said, how do you, I said, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. How do you want to respond and she said i want to let him in and right there in the middle of the restaurant somebody came out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light and now she's going to church with her mom she her back pain was touched she's reading her bible and so i just i wanted to just say that the reason that i i know now why he called me He was going to say, are you going to be obedient because I'm going to activate something in you to push you in deeper into my will and my purpose for what I want to happen in your life. And so don't ignore the voice of the Lord. You have got to be obedient and stay on track. And Jesus was not going to let some violent fox named Herod stop him from doing the work of the kingdom. OK, and then Jesus himself sums up the, the practical aspect of his mission, which is healing and deliverance, healing the sick and casting out demons. Now, some people don't. Many, many people today, and especially in the Western world, are so uncomfortable with that. They think, well, that Jesus was God and that was the miraculous stuff that happened back then and so forth. But we don't need to worry about that right now. We just need to kind of be nice to each other and serve each other. And, and I mean, I, Forty percent of the stories in the Gospels are about Jesus healing people, and they're always connected to his proclamation of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God. is a kingdom of love. It's a kingdom where people are made whole and the ministry of healing for Jesus was central and casting out demons, which is an extension of healing casting out evil spirits from people's lives. And the church today has become scared of these things because it makes people uncomfortable. And sometimes people idolize their comfort so much that they miss out on the heart of the gospel, which is to set people free and see them completely healed, saved, and delivered. And Jesus was dealing with this constantly in his own thing. You see, this was not... Jesus was not opposed... And not accused falsely, and not slandered, and not mocked, and not put on trial, and, and, and accused because people were upset that he was going around saying, Love each other. Okay? That's not why. It was because he was demonstrating the power of God and he was establishing the, the, the he was uh, challenging the established religion, religious institution of Israel, and what at the time was called Second Temple Judaism, the Second Temple. He was challenging the institution. With the power of God and showing the people of God who they what they were supposed to be. They were supposed to be like him, a man filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in the power of God and doing the works of the kingdom so that people not will uh, come to church and pay tithes and all that, but so that they'll be born anew of the spirit and that they'll be redeemed and cleansed from their sins and brought into the kingdom of light. you do you believe me? And so the reason that the church today in the Western world has been on a steep decline for years and years and years is not because we haven't yet figured out the best program for reaching people. It's because we have now, we have uh, just begun to ignore the things of the gospel that make us uncomfortable. And, and we, have, we have dug our heels in and said, no, we do it this way, and what makes me uncomfortable, therefore, should be rejected. And, and Jesus said to Herod, tell him, you can go back and tell him that I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep doing because I know I, my obedience to the Father is more important. I'm not going to let the fear of man get in my way. Thank God that he kept going with his mission. Are you grateful that he kept going to the, all the way to the cross? Because you and I would not be sitting here today uh, forgiven of our sins if he had not. You see, then Jesus goes on and he says this. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, he's setting it up for what he's about to say next. And he's basically saying Jerusalem is the place where prophets go to die because they are so hard hearted. They were called to be the people of God and they become so entrenched in their hearts and so hard hearted that they can't even hear anymore when God speaks. And he said that it's where prophets go to die. And he's just setting it up for what he's about to say next, okay? And he also knows this. This is something else. He knows that his death is not going to come at the hands of Herod. He knows that it's going to come at the hands of his own people. It's going to come at the hands of God's chosen people. That's what his death is going to come at. So he's kind of prophesying over himself. He's aligning himself with the company of prophets. And he's essentially prophesying over himself that I'm I have my face set like Flint to Jerusalem on the cross and I'm going to go and I'm going to do what God has called me to do because I care more about what the father says to do. And I have compassion for people and I want to see them made whole and I'm going to do that and I'm going to go and I'm going to be killed like the rest of the prophets. And he just kept going. So will you and I in our Christian lives follow him and take up our cross and follow him even if it means you get snuffed out? Okay, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. Verse 34, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Mm. The double, the repetition of it implies a heartfelt grief and compassion. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. You see, this is the deep longing and affection of Jesus for his people to be gathered under the banner of the gospel. Under the banner of His power, and His love, this is Jesus expressing His, if you will, pardon the expression, motherly heart to gather people. And Jesus' mother-like, compassionate heart led Him. Remember, they're not it's, the opposition isn't coming against Him because of how nice and gentle He was. It's coming against him because the compassion in his heart lost in their sin caused him to speak truth boldly and to call people to repentance, to warn people, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to make them whole, to tell the religious leaders of his day that God was ready to embrace people that they considered unworthy. They're not of us. Verse 35. Look, Jesus says, your house is left to you desolate. See, the church in the Western world today, it has become a desolate house. I'm not saying that's every everybody, but largely it has. And if you look at statistics, you can see that that's the truth. The church today has become a desolate house. Well, why is that? It's for all the same reasons that God's judgment came on the nation of Israel and the temple was destroyed. 40 years after Jesus was raised from the dead. It's because the simple, pure, spirit-empowered gospel has been diluted and exchanged for a people-pleasing message that will never change lives and will never bring people into wholehearted love and obedience for God. The gifts and the presence of the Holy Spirit of the living God have been theologized right out of our sanctuaries. Because we don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. We need to be seeker-friendly, right? God is looking for churches that are more interested in what God thinks of them than in what new seekers think of them. God is looking for a church that is hungry for his presence more than anything else. That's the church that God is calling his people to be today. You see, our worship, our worship in many, many ways has become dried up and wilted because we're afraid of dancing with all our might like David before the Ark of the Covenant. We're afraid of being a little drunk in the Holy Spirit like they were on the day of Pentecost. Celebrating and stuff. Yeah. You know, that happens. People, the Holy Spirit comes and touches people and they get a little bit loopy and a little bit joyful and a little bit giggly. It does. It doesn't take very much for Him. (laughs) You don't have... If you don't have joy in your life, you need to have Father Dave pray for you and impart the end of the day. You see, all of this, this state—I know this is, sounds like doom and gloom about the modern state of the church, but I—it I, 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 has to be said. God's people have to awake; they have to rise up. They need to. We talk about revival. Our revival starts in your and my heart. Our hearts need to be revived. And all of this, the state of this, it breaks Jesus' heart. And now he says this. He says, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, I think here there's some debate about what exactly he means here. But I think here that Jesus has a tone of hope. Because when that line is going to be spoken is when he enters into Jerusalem riding on the donkey as the king. And he says, I think that Jesus is holding out hope that there's still time that some of those who oppose him will change, that they will receive him, that they will bend their knee to him as Lord. You see, this is such a relevant word to the church today, will Jesus be celebrated and received so he can carry forward the divine purpose of salvation in our midst? Or will he be opposed and persecuted so that the status quo of today's church can be maintained? I think Jesus is knocking on a lot of churches' doors and nobody's answering. And I believe that, I do believe that today, I do believe the time is drawing near I think the signs of the times are everywhere. And God is giving the church worldwide a chance to reclaim her original calling to live like Jesus lived. Well, you know how this story ends, right? For Jesus. They accuse him. They put him on trial and they snuff out his life. Because to move in the, in the power of God's spirit, to speak the truth to people so that they'll be saved, to advance the divine purpose of salvation is to die to yourself and to take up your cross and follow Jesus. And so, Christians, the question for us is not how can we avoid discomfort and people mocking us and thinking we're weirdos. The question is how can I take up my cross and live like Jesus no matter what it costs me? And every time, listen, every time you share the gospel boldly with someone, I'll let that phone come. Okay, good. I had to make sure it wasn't Father calling again. He sometimes calls and says, I didn't tell you to say that. And sometimes he says, did you say what I told you to say? I think think I'm telling what he told me to say today. But listen listen to me, folks. Every time you share the gospel boldly, you speak a prophetic word over someone to encourage them. You take a risk and you lay hands on the sick with the belief in the goodness of God that they're going to recover. You speak the truth to someone about their need to repent and turn to Jesus. You take a risk so that the reputation of God will be honored, even though it may, you may mean that you experience shaming, mockery, scoffing, slander, persecution. You are identifying with Jesus in his death. Nothing will bring you closer to Jesus like entering into his suffering. Have you ever thought about it like that? When I share the gospel with somebody, it's hard. It kind of feels a little bit embarrassing. It feels awkward, and I worry about what the people around us will think as I'm talking to this person. But what you're doing is you're dying to yourself and identifying with Jesus and taking up your cross and saying, This life is not mine anymore. I have been crucified with him 2,000 years ago, and I no longer live. But Jesus Christ now lives his life through me, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Peter wrote this, who was no stranger to suffering after the day of the early church. He said, rejoice in as as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. When, when we stand face to face before the Lord, Jesus, we all will, you all know that, right? Even Christians, there's a judgment. It's not going to be condemnation for Christians, but there's going to be a, an evaluation of how we lived our lives and so forth for his new kingdom. And God will probably not say, how many Sundays did you at- attend church all your life? I think he will say, did you do the things that I told you to do, to be unashamed of my name, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to preach the gospel boldly? He will not say, did you run an effective chili cook-off? I'm all about chili cook-offs. I said so at the 9 o'clock service. But he will ask us to give an account of our obedience or the lack thereof. And I don't know about you, but I want to be able to rejoice and say, Yes, Lord, by your grace, I did it. Woo! It wasn't me, it was you, Lord. But then what happens in the story? God raises him up, and he ascends, he ascends into heaven. And he pours out the promise of the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit falls like fire on the people at Pentecost. Now, in the Old Testament, when the fire of God fell on the mountain, it was such a fearsome thing that the people had to stay away from the mountain or they would die. They were afraid. And now we see another picture, and something has happened, something has changed because the atonement of sin has been paid for. Now people can enter the presence of God, and the whole purpose of Jesus dying for your and my sins is not only so that our sins were forgiven, so that the fire of God's presence could fall on us and control our lives and that's what happens after this and the gospel begins to spread throughout the ancient world like an unstoppable force and the reason that you have ever even heard the name of jesus or the good news that he died for your sins is because those people were yielded they were waiting they were expectant and they said yes to jesus they were filled with the holy spirit and they began to make the gospel known with signs and wonders following amen Sometimes what what appears to be the greatest defeats in your life, I think this is what we learn from the cross and from self-denial in general and dying to ourselves and hardship and suffering, entering into Jesus. Sometimes what appear to be the greatest defeats of your life are just opportunities for God to birth something new through you that could only be accomplished by his resurrection power. And when you and I Yield ourselves to his word and we are obedient and we say, yes, I want my life to look like how you want it to look like, like Jesus's life. You will experience suffering. Whether it's emotional or spiritual or physical, you will experience it. Because with the gospel comes a price tag. There's a cost, you know. Now, now the the salvation is free. It's a gift of God. But following Jesus has a cost to it. It's costly. Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. But when you do that, the Lord will birth something through you that will change lives, The lives of the people around you that will advance his kingdom, that will bring glory to his name for all of eternity so that when he returns in the eastern sky, you can rejoice with inexpressible joy. Knowing. That you lived like Jesus. So I know that sermon title is the desolate house, and that's obvious why, because of the passage in my in my message about the, the the modern church today, but I actually have hope, and I I want the church today to uh, not be desolate. I want it to be a church that can say Jesus was trying to gather his people in the end of days and they said yes to him and they came together in the unity and in the power and the love of the Holy Spirit and they did the things Jesus did and there were miracles and there were signs and wonders and many people called on the name of the Lord and were saved and then Jesus returned and he found his people working. He found his bride beautifully adorned with righteous deeds. Isn't that what you want to find when Jesus returns? That's the church that I want to be a part of. That when you open up to the book of Acts and you read what the church looked like, that's the church I want to be. That's the church I want to be a part of. I think what I, what I feel right now just, I was going to wait on this. I think everybody knows Everybody knows. You know, why we're here together today and so forth. But I think I just want to <clears throat> share from the heart right now. So uh, many of you have heard that uh, Hannah and I have really just, through some prayer and discerning, have come to the conclusion that our time, our ministry at Good Shepherd has come to an end. And we've been here for uh, six years, two as the curate under Cerebronos, the lovely, and four, almost four, as the rector. And it's been a joy. We've raised our first two children here in this church since... Uh, Our first was four months old, and it's been a joy and a delight to serve and to pray with you and to preach the gospel to you and uh, to meet with you and to do all those things and to administer the Holy Communion to you. That's been our joy and our delight. Uh, But as many of you know, in recent years, my leadership style has been a little controversial, and that's okay. I'm not ashamed to say that, Um, but... We felt that God had given us a vision for ministry and that created conflict and i 'm not here to point fingers that is not healthy for any of us to do that or say this person was right, and this person was wrong i 'm not here to do that. It just feels like us that the the vision that God has given us for ministry is not is not possible here anymore it 's not viable here anymore okay and i don 't need to go into all the details of that and so we Uh, feel called by the Lord uh, just to seek his face, to spend some time as a family with our new baby who's going to be coming any moment, really, um, and to just ask the Lord what's next for us. And beyond that, we don't really know, uh, but we have a certainty about this. We have a certainty of now being released from the assignment that we've had here, and we've had fun, and we've enjoyed it, and we love everybody dearly. And as I was sharing this announcement um, at the nine o'clock service this morning, I just said, I want to speak from the heart and I want to say the same thing to to both services. And I'm grateful that some of you came over to to participate in this service that that have already been to church this morning. But in whatever happens from this point on, because these sorts of things, they always cause grief. And, And they cause grief for me. They cause grief for a lot of people. And how we deal with, our grief and our mourning and maybe our anger, maybe our sadness or the flood of emotions uh, that we get um, And having all those feelings is not wrong, but what we do with those feelings is of utmost importance. And for 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 anyone, no matter what life brings next for you, what ministry brings next for you, the Most important thing, two things, this is what I shared at the 9 a.m. One is that you obey Jesus because I can say with a clean conscience that I have obeyed Jesus in my six years here to the best of my ability. And I hope that all of us would keep that a priority from this point forward. The second thing is that we don't hold any bitterness or resentment or unforgiveness in our hearts. And I want to just read something to you that I that I've been reflecting on this this morning, because I want everybody to be blessed. I want everybody to be blessed. You know that I want everybody to be close to the Lord and to be doing his will. And the Lord just put this on my heart to share with you from Ephesians. And I was sharing uh, I was sharing earlier that I listened to a message once um, on grieving the Holy Spirit. And uh, the gentleman was, the preacher was making the case from the Bible that the, the greatest thing that grieves the Holy Spirit is bitterness. And, it, and he's getting his message from Ephesians chapter 4, and Paul says this. So I just want to read this passage to you today, to us today as a community um, who are going to need to go through some healing and some uh, reevaluating things and all of those things that have to happen next. But Paul says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He is a person and he can be saddened by his people's behavior. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then here's the next thing he says, get rid of all bitterness. Isn't that interesting? I never thought about that before until I heard that sermon. Get rid of all bitterness because it grieves the Holy Spirit. And the reason is is that when a Christian carries offense in their heart, whether it's towards an unbeliever or a family member or another believer, when you carry offense in your heart, you forget yourself how much you've been forgiven of, how many offenses you've been forgiven of when he hung there and bled and died for you. And the second thing is is when we carry offense and I'm preaching myself here too when we carry any kind of offense, we've become enslaved to our own pride, because the idea is, is that I need to be vindicated, and I need justice, and I need to get the last word in. And I need people to know that, that, that I've been wronged. And we've all got to guard against that. Because I want God's blessing for everyone moving forward. For me, for you, for everyone. And if we want that, if we don't want to be walking in a place where we're grieving the Holy Spirit, we have to kneel before the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, I'm feeling bitterness. I'm feeling anger, I'm feeling frustration, I'm feeling all this and Lord I just need you to take it from me I just need you to take it from me because you you already died for for everyone's offenses so don't, Lord, don't let me carry it anymore, I don't want to be an angry or bitter person Okay. I don't want any of us to carry that weight I want everybody to be involved with what God is doing in the world right now you, you, I mean it's, the world right now is in uproar There's literally war going on, there's political turmoil everywhere, there's confusion and chaos, there's economic collapse, there's inflation, there's all this stuff, and the Bible says that when dark gloom starts to cover the earth, this is from Isaiah 60, it says, over you, God's people, the light will arise and the nations will be drawn to your light. That's a picture of the church standing up in the power of God's spirit and proclaiming the gospel so that people are drawn to it. There are, as somebody, a friend of mine said, there are are many, many fish out there who are ready to jump into the boat, but there needs to be some fishermen out there casting the lines. And I want all of us to be able to be committed and yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ, his lordship above all, and to carry God's blessing moving forward from this place and so i'd like to just pray now close my, the, my sermon and this announcement uh with prayer um we have a visitor canon justin a dear friend from the diocese who's here to just share some words that bishop brewer has sent to read and um but i just want to pray over this so if you would just join me for a moment Father, your word says that you're the God of mercy. You're the father of comfort and consolation and that you comfort us in our times of trouble and affliction so that we may be able to comfort others in their time of need. And so, Lord, we just ask right now as a community that your spirit would work through this somehow to your glory. Uh, Lord, Lord, I know there's a there's, a, there's an abundance of different views and thoughts and emotions in this room right now. And I just ask that each one of us would have the grace to be able to lift what's on our hearts and just to bring it before you and say, Lord, only you are the answer. Jesus, only you are the solution. And Father, I'm asking for your blessing, your mercy, and your grace to be extended to each and every person in this room from this day forward. Lord, I thank you for the years of ministry here. I thank you for the many mighty things that you have done, Lord. The miracles, the salvations, Lord. The the way you've fed us on a weekly basis with your body and blood. And Lord, I just ask, God, I just ask for a great work of your spirit in this city, in this community, Lord. And that that each of us would be attentive in the days to come to the voice of your spirit calling out to us to rise up, And to be the church that Jesus birthed, that Jesus died and shed his blood for. So that, Father, in the end, in the end what what is given is glory to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.